Good morning, everyone. Great to have you with us today. I just love this church. Like, I just love you people. It's so fun to see all of you coming in on Sunday mornings and uh, just a connection with so many of you. And if I don't know you yet, I still love you also. And I hope to get to know you. But thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. One person loves me. Well, we, as Jason mentioned, are going to continue in our series on prayerful dependency. And this has been so good for, for my heart and uh, my soul over the last handful of weeks, and especially here teaching a few weeks in a row and, and just exploring uh, what God's Word has to say about prayer. And uh, today we're going to kind of jump right in, in in just a minute to 1 Samuel chapter 1, as, as Jason just mentioned, if you want to start opening your Bibles to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Um, but first, I want to give you some context as you're doing that. The books of First and Second Samuel really tell some, some powerful stories. Some of the, the, the most famous stories of Scripture uh, take place in these books, and it's really a time of transition for the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. Uh, it's a transition from the leadership of judges, as we see in the book of Judges, to the leadership of kings. And so this is a significant time in the history of Israel, and a lot of things, uh, important things happen here. And, and Samuel is this man who's kind of at the center of it, the start of this story. Samuel becomes a priest and a prophet and a judge, a leader of Israel, and, and he, God uses him to help the nation make this transition. And, and we, we see Samuel anoint the first king of Israel, Saul. And then later he anoints David to one day become king after Saul. And today's text in chapter 1 tells us the story of how this man came to be, the birth of Samuel. And throughout these two books, First and Second Samuel, I think what we're invited to see is God's plan of redemption. This incredible story that he's working and how he's bringing all these people and situations together and, and, and working in and through his chosen people of Israel to move forward this plan of redemption. And so we're going to look for that today. We're going to look for God's plan of redemption in this story today. And we're going to look at it through the lens of prayer, prayerful dependency. And what I think we'll see today, the main idea of the message is this, that in prayer... We are reminded of and take part in God's perfect plan. It's the main idea today. And in light of that, I think we're going to see four main principles of prayerful dependency that we can take with us today. So you'll see that on your note sheet and follow along as we go. So let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Everybody get all that? Woo! I thought about having a volunteer read this today. It's like, I, I, don't, I think we got most of those. All right, verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, 
and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. All right, pause there for a second. We, we first get some uh, background information on this man, Elkanah. And we see that, that he is from the line of the Levites. He's a Levite, and so that means that, that he and his family would have, would have been considered sort of set apart for a special purpose in serving God. And so for a portion of Elkanah's life, he would have been dedicated to serve the Lord, probably working and serving in the temple. But we also see that he probably wasn't a great Levite because he has two wives, Right? He's already not doing a great job. He has these two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And we see polygamy often in the Old Testament. Um, It's a part of this culture at the time. It's just a reality. But it's important to remember, to note, that the Bible never places polygamy in a favorable light. In fact, almost every time we see it in Scripture, it's followed by strife and conflict. It's not a a good or God-honoring thing. But here's Elkanah. He has these two wives, and it it does seem he's following some elements of the law because he goes every year to this place, Shiloh, where where there was a temple of the Lord where he would make sacrifices. This was his time every year to go and make sacrifices to God. The Scripture tells us that there's these two sons there, Hophni and Phinehas. These are Eli's sons. Eli was, was the head priest at this time, and Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, served in the temple, but we know from the story that these are not good dudes. They're corrupt. They disobey God repeatedly, and God ultimately brings judgment on this family because of that. But here Elkanah is bringing his family with him to sacrifice at Shiloh, and they would eat a ceremonial meal together. And during that meal, he would give portions to each of his wives. He'd, he'd give portions to, to Peninnah and to her children, and then he would give a double portion to Hannah. It says he loved her, even though the Lord had closed her womb. Let's keep reading in verse 6. Her rival, Hannah's rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? The situation is kind of hard for us to understand. We wrestle with this, why God has closed Hannah's womb. And and now Peninnah is is provoking her. It says grievously. This isn't just some offhanded comments here and there. This is repeated. Every single year that they go to Shiloh, Peninnah is is provoking and mocking Hannah over her lack of children. And being childless wasn't only a a personal tragedy or, or a sadness in this culture, but it would have been considered shameful as well. Because having children was connected to, to the strength of your family, the provision for your family was also even connected to the strength of the nation of Israel. That you, you were producing sons to go fight in battle and, and daughters to, to help provide for the nation. And so being childless would have been something that brought great shame on Hannah. And Peninnah is mocking her. She's provoking her for that. And it leads Hannah to weep and, and not be able to eat 
And we see Elkanah try to cheer her up by, by saying, am I not more to you than 10 sons? Husbands, don't try this at home, okay? <laughs> like next time your wife has a really bad day and she comes home, don't say, honey, cheer up. Look how awesome I am, right? Like that's not going to work. Just don't do it. Some of you are like, yeah, I've tried that. Like I see some like... That doesn't work. We know from experience. Elkanah kind of fails in his uh, opportunity here to be empathetic and compassionate with Hannah. And it also seems that this is happening every single year. And so you would think Elkanah at some point would stop in and, and step in and stop the, the mocking, the provoking, but it doesn't seem that he has. This is a painful situation for Hannah. Let's keep reading in verse 9. So after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This is a heartbreaking story so far. Hannah's womb has been closed. She's being provoked mercilessly by Peninnah, her rival, Our text says that she is deeply distressed. But what does Hannah do with her pain? What does she do with the situation? We see in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She brings her pain before God. And that's our our first principle of prayerful dependency that I think we can take with us today. We can pray through our pain. It's the first blank on your note sheet. Praying through our pain. Perhaps you have felt deeply distressed before. Maybe some of you feel that way this morning. And I haven't experienced exactly what Hannah is experiencing here, but I I know a little bit of what this pain feels like. My wife and I have walked through four miscarriages in our marriage, and we're blessed now to have four beautiful girls at home that we're so grateful for. But we understand, especially early on, the questioning and wrestling with what, what is God doing? Why is he doing this? We're desiring this child. We're praying for this child, and, and they're not coming, or it even feels like they're being taken away from us. Some of you right now, I know, are wrestling with, with infertility, praying for a child it doesn't seem that, that God is going to answer that prayer. Some of you have lost a child or experienced miscarriages like us. And honestly, I don't have a great answer for why God always works that way in our lives. I, I think sometimes we have to wrestle with that. I think we'll see an answer for Hannah's story, but we may not always get a clear answer, at least this side of eternity. But what I do believe is that one thing we know for sure is that God invites us to bring our pain and our sorrow and our doubts and even maybe our anger and our frustration to him. He invites us to bring it to him in prayer. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because He cares for you. 
God cares deeply for you. He knows your pain, and he invites us to pray through it, to bring those cares to him. Let's see how Hannah does that in verse 11. So Hannah vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So Hannah prays through her pain, and then she makes this, this vow before the Lord. And one thing that stands out to me in verse 11 is how many times she repeats the word servant. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, not forget your servants, but give to your servant a son. She's coming in humility before God. I'm your servant, Lord. This is a posture of humility, even, even in her pain. And then she makes this vow before the Lord that, that she will give this child if If he were to provide a child, she would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. What she's referencing here is what was known as the Nazarite vow. We see that in Numbers chapter 6. And and for those of the Levitical line, uh, they they would, again, have a portion of their lives where they were set apart for for the service of God. Usually from like age 30 to 50, they would would serve in the temple and and that would be a part of their, their life's work. But the Nazarite vow was a step further, and it was committing one's entire life to the service of God. And part of that commitment, the, the Nazarites were, were, were very devout, and one thing they would never do is cut their hair their entire lives. That's the reference there to, to no razor touching his head. So at first glance, this might seem like just a, a self-serving prayer of, of Hannah desiring a child and praying for a child, but think about what she's praying here. Think about what she's vowing before God. She's, she's actually saying, this, this child that I so desperately want, this child I've been praying for and waiting for for so long, I'm ready to give right back to God. She's vowing to return to God the very thing she's asking him for. And as we'll see later in in 1 Samuel, she follows through on the vow. And she brings her child to the temple when he's weaned, probably about age three or four, to spend his whole life in service of God. So here's another principle of prayerful dependency I think we can take with us today. Desiring God's purposes. Desiring God's purposes. It's important for us to remember that this is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. We've talked about that before, and what that means is that this is, this is a story. This is historical narrative in the Old Testament telling us about what happened, the characters involved. It's not necessarily prescriptive and that everything we see, we should immediately apply. This is how we should live or this is how we should pray because I think it's important for us today to not take away that if we pray a certain way, God will answer our prayers the way we want. I don't think we should all start making vows and, and stop cutting our kids' hair, right? Some of them need haircuts. Some of you need haircuts right now, right? I need a haircut. That's not our takeaway. Nor, nor do I think we should take away that it's wrong to pray for what we want. Because I think God invites us to do that. We saw the Lord's Prayer a few weeks back where 
where Jesus teaches us how to pray. And, and one of the prayers is, give us this day our daily bread, right? Like, God wants us to pray for, for the things we need, for the things we desire. But here's the principle, I think, for us to take. Hannah's bold prayer before the Lord is more than just about what she desires, but what God desires as well. Not only is she offering this child back, but, but again, there's, there's great corruption in the temple at this time. The priests are corrupt, and so I think there's, there's, an, there's an honest reality here of, of, God, you need another leader. You need someone to step into this and, and to be a, a, a righteous example for the people. And, and Hannah is praying that God would give her a son so that he can be used for that purpose. I think God wants us to bring our desires and needs before him. But in the process of doing that, he does something in us. He helps us to keep the right order, his will above our own. One of the most powerful places we see that in Scripture is is Jesus praying in the garden, right? Before his betrayal and arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. And Jesus is praying fervently in the garden. He's sweating droplets of blood. In Luke twenty two forty two, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even in this moment of great heaviness, Jesus desires the Father's purposes over his own. I think that's prayerful dependency. Allowing God to shape our desires to be more like his. Let's keep reading about how Hannah prayed and and what happens next. Verse 12. As Hannah continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So we see Hannah here praying silently, speaking in her heart. Only her lips are moving. And Eli, his takeaway is, she must be drunk. And I, I like what Adam Clark says about this. I, I, mean, I don't like it, but I think he sums it up well because he says the fact that Eli supposed her to be drunk proves that religion was at this time at a very low ebb in Shiloh. For it seems drunken women did come to that place and lewd women were to be found there. Things were not in good condition in the temple at this time. But Hannah answers, Eli says, no, I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm troubled in spirit. And I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. What a beautiful picture of prayerful dependency that is. Pouring out your soul before the Lord. 
And that led me to ask a question of myself this week. When was the last time I prayed like that? When was the last time I poured my soul out before God? I try to have daily time and in prayer and praying through scripture really helps me and, and it's good. We talked about the discipline of prayer a couple of weeks back, but, but sometimes I think we just need to get on our knees, maybe on our face, and just pour out our soul before God. And Eli answers her and says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And then we see that she goes away and eats, and her face is no longer sad. This is a huge turnaround all of a sudden for Hannah from from deep distress, from anxiety and vexation or frustration to now walking away, able to eat, no longer sad. And what's changed? Nothing in her situation has really changed, right? She doesn't have an answer yet, at least not one that that the text tells us about. It seems that all that's changed is she's prayed. She's poured out her soul before the Lord. Eli does say, go in peace and the God of Israel grants your petition that you've made to him. He says that, but, but again, I don't know how much faith, knowing the circumstance, knowing that, that he just a moment ago thought she was drunk, I don't think she would have put much faith in Eli's words. I think she's putting faith in God's promises. And that's the third blank on your note sheet today. In prayerful dependency, we can be resting in his promises. Resting in his promises. What is Hannah asking of God? She's pleading that, that God would remember her and not forget her. And I think in this, in this time of prayer, she's being reminded, she, she knows that God is hearing her, that God has not forgotten her. Keith Thomas says it really well. He says, by pleading with God to remember me, Hannah indicates that she perceives that God cares for the plight of a rural, barren farm woman whom everyone else says is a failure. She reveals a belief that the Lord of hosts is the sort of God who cares for small, broken, failed people. This is faith in God's goodness and grace. That he is a God full of compassion and an ever-present help for the weak. I think Hannah walks away from this prayer with faith, knowing that God has heard her. And in prayer, I think she experiences peace. She's no longer sad, but, but not only is she no longer sad, let's see what happens next. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Not only is she not sad, but she's able to worship God because of this time in prayer. And then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. You know, growing up, I, I didn't understand why my, my parents, my mom and dad, who I love very much, now that I'm going to tell this story, um, why they would forget my name sometimes, right? Like they would call me my brother's name, like especially if I was doing something stupid, which didn't happen often. 
But, um, you know, they'd just be like, James, you know, sometimes my mom would call me my dad's name, Jim. We're all J's, so that's part of the confusion. Um, I think a couple times maybe you called me the dog's name. Like, maybe there was a couple times that maybe I just made that up. But, you know, I just didn't understand that. But now I'm a parent, and I do it all the time. Does anybody else do this? Like, it's mind-boggling. And I feel so terrible. We have four girls, and our, our second one, especially Aiden, if I, if I call her the wrong name, like, she'll look at me <laughs> totally serious. So you guys know Aiden May. She'll look at me totally serious, and she'll be like, Dad, my name is Aiden. <laughs> and I'm like, I just feel so bad. Like, I know I, I named you. I gave you that name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's just so weird how our brains work. So I, I forgive you guys. It's... I understand it now. But that's not how it works with God. God never forgets our name. God always remembers us. And it's interesting because we know from Scripture, we know our our good biblical theology. We understand that God is all-knowing, right? He is sovereign. He's eternal. And so it's not as if God forgot Hannah. It was like, oh, yeah, Hannah, that's right. So it's interesting that it said the Lord remembered her. I think what it's speaking to is that God heard Hannah's prayers. He hears her. Not just this one in the temple, but probably so many prayers, maybe thousands of prayers throughout this pain, this, this suffering for years or maybe decades. Hannah was never suffering alone with a distant God who was too busy to hear her cries. Now, God was with her every step of the way, walking with her, suffering with her, remembering her. God remembers you. He hears your prayer. He knows your pain. And he cares deeply for you. You can rest in his promises that he is faithful and good. A couple weeks I'm super excited. Chad Lee's going to preach. It's going to be awesome. We got uh, some more, um, uh, not guest speakers, but, but new speakers over the next few weeks. It's going to be great. And Chad's going to be preaching our director of students and church planting resident. He's going to be talking on Nehemiah, the same thing of, of how God hears us when we're praying through, through difficult times, through trials. God hears us. And God heard Hannah. And we see that he answers her prayer in the way that she had asked. And Hannah conceives and bears a son. She names him Samuel. The name Samuel means name of God, but there's also kind of a, a, uh, a little play with words that she's doing here and that the Hebrew word for asked sounds like Samuel. And so it makes sense. She asked of this child of the Lord and names him Samuel. All right, so we read this story, and it leads me to ask, why? Why do we have this story? Why is this the way that God works in this situation? First Samuel, the book of First Samuel, could open up with the words, and then Samuel was born, and we would just get on our way and get to some giants and some cool stuff, right? But that's not what happens. That's not the story. 
I think if we look forward a little bit in the story, we start to get an answer. Because you see, Samuel does indeed serve in God's house all his life. As we mentioned, Hannah brings him to the temple at age three or four, where he's dedicated for the Lord and, and he serves there his whole life. God uses Samuel to help lead Israel to repentance and deliverance from enemies. And he plays this key role in establishing the kingship over Israel. In 1 Samuel 2, we get another prayer of Hannah's. If you want to read it later, it's, it's a really beautiful prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. And, and there's this forward-looking nature to it. I want to read just a couple of verses, 1 Samuel 2, 9 and 10. It says, he, God, will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now remember at this time, 1 Samuel 2, there is no king. There's no king yet in Israel. They're still ruled by judges. The king is coming. But this is, this is forward-looking. This is looking towards Jesus. In fact, this is the exact scripture that's quoted in Luke chapter 1 by Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, in his prophecy of the coming Messiah. He references this text. There's a coming Savior. Our fourth principle of prayerful dependency today is this, trusting in his plan. We can trust in God's plan. I think that's what we see at work in this story. God's plan of redemption. Because it makes sense to me that God would, would use a story of pain and suffering and waiting to bring about a son born somewhat miraculously, who would lead God's people to repentance and deliverance and the reign of a king. And that that story would point us forward to another story of a coming son born miraculously who would perfectly endure pain and suffering and would bring repentance and salvation for God's people, establishing an eternal reign as the king of kings. Jesus. So I don't know that Hannah knew it at the time, but God was working a beautiful plan of redemption. There was a beautiful story taking place, and she was a part of it. God's plan is bigger than we can understand. His ways are higher than ours. He works in and through our prayer to accomplish his purposes in us and through us and around us. And sometimes those purposes might involve answering our prayers in a way that we would desire or want. We can thank God and praise God when, when that happens. But other times, God's plan might involve answering our prayers in a way we don't want. It seems like that happens a lot. We can still praise God in those situations. We can trust that his plan is good. Other times, his answer is just to wait. Some of you maybe feel like you've been waiting for an answer to your prayer for, for years, for your whole life. I think we can rest in his promises that he is good and that he's at work, even if it doesn't seem like it. 
I think that's the life of faith. That's the life of prayerful dependency, going to God through our pain, learning to desire his purposes, resting in his promises, and then trusting in his plan. This might bring a question to our minds. What, if God is sovereign, if God is eternal, if God is working his plan, and we know he's going to bring his plan to completion, then, then why do we pray at all, right? What's the point of praying? Well, I think, first of all, God commands us to pray, right? We're, we, are, we are told in Scripture that we, we should pray. We see in the life of Jesus, Jesus prays. He sets the example for us. But deeper than that, I think when we pray, God does something in us. He changes us. He shapes our desires. He reminds us that he's at work, and he invites us to be a part of that work. I was trying to figure out who said this quote, and I couldn't find it, but that's good because I'm going to change it anyways. So if you said this, I'm sorry. Like, Elijah, did you say this? Did this Elijah? He's like, what? You maybe I could hear you saying this. You're a smart kid. But I love this quote. We don't pray because we believe in the power of prayer. We pray because we believe in the power and the plan of the one we pray to. Amen? That's prayerful dependency. That's what it's all about. We're going to transition to communion right now. I'll invite the worship team back up. And as we do that, I'm, I'm going to just start off by, by giving just a minute for you to, to, to pray, to respond through prayer, and then the worship team will be playing, and, and when you're ready, you can, you can come up for communion. We've got our station set up here at the front with the, the cup with a cracker, and, and you can go back to your seat and partake there at your seat and reflect on Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, that he shed his blood for us, dying on behalf of our sins so that we could have forgiveness and life in him. But as you're doing that, maybe, maybe just take a minute to pray, and maybe today you need to pray through the pain. Maybe you're just wrestling today, struggling, and you just need to bring those honestly before God. Pour out your soul. He cares. He hears you. Maybe you need to pray that God would help you to see and desire his purposes, his will above your own. Or maybe you need to pray that God would remind you of his promises, that he is faithful, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever the case is, let's be encouraged that in prayer we can trust in his good and perfect plan.